0: And welcome to episode number 185 of the DBSA Podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books with me today's best-selling author, Candace Terry. Candace Terry writes contemporary comedy romance, which is one of my favorite genres, and she also has one of those really cool I Have Done All The Things bios. So in addition to talking about her new book and her new series and the books that she's written for Avon, we also talk about her path towards publication, which was long and bumpy as she puts it. And then we talk about costume designs for 80s hairbands, alpha male roosters, what her husband thinks of her books, and she offers some very excellent advice for aspiring writers. This podcast is being sponsored by Jessica Corey, author of The Forbidden Wish, published by Penguin Young Readers and available in print and ebook. Zahara is given one chance at freedom, to be free of the curse that has bound her to a lamp. With her future on the line, she must decide betray the man she loves or risk everything to be with him for eternity available now the music you're listening to is provided by Sassy outwater and i will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and if you would like to sponsor the podcast or the podcast transcript you can email me at sarah at com. i would love to hear from you and without any further delay on with the podcast Would you please introduce yourself? Okay, I'm Candace Terry. I write uh contemporary romance. So, I wanted to talk to you about your new series because you have had the really smart idea of combining romance and and wine. <laughs> this was very wise.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, because when you drink it, you got to you gotta come up with something. Well, I had to get away from all the sweet stuff from my last couple of, you know, I had the Sugar Shack and the Sweet Texas. So I said, let's go to something a little more adult. So it was wine, you know, booze. I'm all about the booze. <laughs>
0: you know, you can hold the wine in one hand and hold your book in the other. It's a Absolutely. perfectly balanced activity.
1: Absolutely. And if I'm reading on my tablet, I just use my thumb to, you know, yep. go to the next page. So... Yeah, um, I got the idea because all of a sudden in the last, I don't know, five years, the wineries have popped up around my neighborhood. And if, if you come here, I mean, it's it's a high desert. You know, I live in the Boise, Idaho area. It's a high desert. So I'm like, who wants to grow wine here? And the wines are wonderful. And then when I was in Texas, which I go to Texas a lot, it seems like, they have that whole road out of Fredericksburg to San Antonio. That's wineries. Yep. So I went like it dry. Oh yeah. I love it. So I went down that. I went, um, when I went to the, um, RWA there, I just rented a car and I went down, I went, I stopped at like, well, not all of them. That would make me look terrible, but I stopped at a lot of them.
0: No one would judge if you stopped at every single one.
1: You know, I'm I, sorry, I just it's all about the wine. And there's such a difference in the wineries there. So I thought this will be really interesting. So then I started doing the research and, and then of course I don't know why. I always write big families, you know, the family saga. I'm an only child, figure it out. I don't know.
0: <laughs> just inventing all of your siblings that you don't have to buy holiday presents for? Exactly. Or deal
1: with them because my husband, there's six kids in his family. Oh, and that's I'm a like, lot. Wow. You guys are all a little on the crazy side. So it's great. You know, I can just picture the family I really
0: want. <laughs> Lovely. And then invent a new one every time you start a new series. Exactly.
1: When I get tired of them,
0: I go away. <laughs> so your next book is A Better Man. Yes. Which I have to say features a most excellent tush grab on the cover. Yes. He has, he. has This guy straight up has his hand on her bum. And I was like, way to go, Avon. Just Just <laughs> go there. That's yeah, we awesome. wanted
1: to go with something a little more sexy and a little more fun this time. So, I said, "Yeah, grabbing the behind is good, good fun." <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, she looks like she's quite happy about it, too. Yes. So, this well, comes talk- out March 29th, right?
1: Yes, March 29th. So, would
0: you tell us about the new series and about the characters?
1: Yeah, um I always start my my series out with tragedies. I don't know why somebody always has to die and It's really kind of sad and pathetic. I guess that's because I always have criminal minds on in the background when I write.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So some people write to a soundtrack and some people write to classical music. Some people need silence. And you're writing to
1: death and dismemberment
0: and murders. Yes. Okay. So, um,
1: yeah. So it's, you know, it's always uh, someone passes away and brings the family back together. And these are five brothers and a teenage sister, um, the Kincaid family. And... They're all very different. Uh, one is the the first one in a Better Man is Jordan Kincaid, and he's a hockey player, and his twin fraternal twin brother is a uh, financial genius. And then we have the chef, and you know, there's they all do something. Ryan is the oldest, and he runs the winery. And they start discovering things that's missing money after their parents have died, and. And now there's like a mysterious, I'd never write mystery, but there's like this mysterious reason why the money's gone and who took it and everything. So it's been kind of a departure for me and it's really fun.
0: Is it a little bit less of the sweet stuff and more a little dark or is it still a contemporary comedy?
1: No, it's contemporary. It has a lot of a lot more funny in it than, um, I, I can write dark, but you know, it, that's for another day yep. when I get older and I, I run out of the funny stuff. Um, I think the humor mostly comes in with the, the interaction between the brothers and you know, the siblings, it's the sibling, you know, talking back to each other, talking smack and stuff. And um, Cause the way that siblings
0: the siblings give each other a lot of crap.
1: Yeah. 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 I, Oh, I see that. I'm like, Oh, in real life, I'm like, okay. Um, so it's more come, the humor more comes from the characters not necessarily the situation, but then I always have like there's always an animal in my stories and they always kind of add a little uh, comic relief and mm-hmm. the one in a better man especially um, his name is Ziggy and he he's a dog that has a definite uh, flatulence problem so
0: <laughs> Well I mean there's no is there a dog on this cover? Did I miss the dog? Yeah. You need no, to put a no. dog on the cover, especially if you could, yeah. like, Photoshop in a little cloud.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be funny, a purple, little purple cloud. Um, I, people no. would buy the
0: hell out of that dog cover. <laughs> I know. It's my dog. There's flagellants on the cover. I need to own this book right now.
1: I know. It's actually, it's like, uh, sadly, it's my dog, not the same kind of breed of dog, but my dog, Natty, she's famous for that. So it's like, whew. That would be funny in a book.
0: Well, they don't. The thing about dog farts is they don't dissipate. Oh, no. They just sort of hang together in a cloud that like makes its way around the room and everyone's like, oh, my God. And then it moves to the next person. Oh, what the hell?
1: And and they're always silent. Oh,
0: yeah. You never hear a thing unless it's really bad and then you just need to run. I know. So this is what we need in romance. We need more dog farts on the cover. (laughs)
1: I am totally all for that. Maybe, I mean, you know, if for, I go indie, I might
0: <laughs> forget photoshopping tattoos. Like that's been done. We need just a little yeah. hint of flatulence.
1: Yes, I keep seeing like that lady that coughs on those new commercials. You know, she's got that blue cloud that goes out. It, it's possibility.
0: I think it's. I think cover designers who are listening should totally get on this.
1: <laughs> Don't tempt me. I'm a graphic designer, <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: I'm here for this I'm just saying I'm just saying I'm totally okay with this so what's what's book two going to be
1: um book two uh we have the title is perfect for you and it is um uh Declan Kincaid and he is the fraternal twin brother to Jordan in
0: book one, so you and can tell them apart, oh yeah, okay,
1: yeah, I mean in my head they look nothing alike at all, but you know I tried to make them different enough they all have a the the family has you know the blue eyes and the dark hair but you know it's all kind of uh they're they're completely different from each other completely you know Jordan's a total player and uh Declan's just all work no play so it's it was quite a challenge to write somebody like that because uh he was a different kind of a hero for me but he's um he's a guy who needs to learn how to have fun and luckily he runs into uh the woman who will
0: show him. Well, that's a yeah. good thing to read. That, that'll create dialogue, which is, you know, my favorite part of a book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because she works for him. And so he's trying to keep the, Ooh. you know, all business and, you no, know, you know, keeping that line from crossing it and all that. And, yeah, it doesn't work, of course. But
0: <laughs> So I, I learned from your publicist that you have tried to write in several different subgenres. Oh, my God.
1: It took me twenty-two years to get published. That is that
0: is a long time.
1: 20, yeah, I'm I'm Scottish, so I'm stubborn as hell, but um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first book I wrote was a historical, and that was way, 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 way back when my daughter was like really tiny. She's uh-huh. gonna be 31 now. So <laughs> um it I started with a historical because I just read historicals like crazy and I thought, oh, I got this idea, and I wrote. And then um, I was so proud of it. It took me three whole years to write. And, you know, I just finally after that discovered RWA and everything. So um, then a lot of people told me I did not have a historical voice.
0: Huh.
1: So I was like, well, that sucks. So let's see what can I do then. (laughs) So then I wrote A Paranormal, which I still love and was a Golden Heart finalist. Oh, congrats. It's a wonderful story and, and I hope to someday like rewrite it. But um, it got a lot of attention, won a lot of contests and all that. But at that time, the industry was not buying Paranormal Romance. And by the time they did buy Paranormal Romance, my style had changed so much. So then I was like, well, okay, now what can I do? (laughs) So I always read a lot of Harlequin. So I thought, well, let me see if I can write these. And I got a lot of attention. I got a lot of awards, a lot of contests, a lot. I got agents out of it and everything. Um, Never sold, could never sell. Did revisions and all that, could never sell.
0: That must be so frustrating because especially at that time, there was that sort of prescribed route to publication. You write the manuscript and then you enter some contests and then you get some finals and then you get an agent. And then the next step is you sell something and you would get so close and not get there.
1: Oh, I got so close so many times. And um, and you kept going. I kept going because, like I said, I'm stubborn. And well, I guess the thing of it is, is I love to write.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I was, uh, you know, I was a uh, um, graphic designer for over 30 years, and that's a kind of creativity, mm-hmm. but not like pulling those characters out of your head and everything. And I was always encouraged by teachers to write, and I just thought they were being nice, you know, or crazy or something. So. Um but yeah I just I just kept going and then finally one day I hit my wall. I got um two rejections in one week.
0: Ouch. That were
1: that were 5 years old.
0: 5 years old?
1: Yeah. And there were two completely different publishers for two completely different books. Oh,
0: have and mercy.
1: I know. I'm like, well, that's a sign from the universe.
0: Somebody who is listening right now is cringing. Many people are probably cringing so hard. Oh, five was, years? Yeah. I'm Good like, why God. send it back?
1: Why send, a, why send a you know rejection after five years? But two in one week? Ouch. I mean, that's like, that's the universe telling you, stop. You have no business doing this. Stop. And so I was like, oh, no, no, I got to right. I got to right. I just, I'll do it for myself. So I told my husband one time, one morning we were in the hot tub talking, having coffee, and I just started crying. He's like, but that's your passion. I said, but I, I can't do it anymore. I can't take the rejections. I can't do it anymore. So. He said, but that's your passion. So I had to think about it, and then I said, screw it. I'm just going to write the book I want to write. I don't give a damn if anybody – oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't cuss.
0: (laughs) You can totally cuss. There's no FCC here. Come on. Go ahead. Drop as many F-bombs as you want.
1: I cuss a lot. Okay,
0: great. This is perfect. (laughs) I don't edit those out.
1: Okay. So I said, you know, I don't give a damn who, you know, likes it, doesn't like it. I've been listening to my critique groups. I've been listening to these editors that want me to revise it to their way and blah, 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 screw it. I'm just going to write what I want to write. Right. And that's it. And so I started writing and I found the passion again, because I kind of lost it. And then a friend of mine, Rachel Gibson um, said, Hey, I got to go to this conference in Utah, want to go with me road trip, buddy. I'm like, Sure, I'll share the Cheetos with you. So we drove to the Utah conference, and I wasn't going to do anything. I went to the conference just to go, just to be a road trip buddy. And uh, I paid for the conference and everything because I was going to eat their meals, so I right. thought that was polite. And so um, I ran into this nice young lady who is a new editor at um, Avon Books, and she asked me if I was going to pitch, and I said, no, no. I've only got four chapters of the book done and blah, blah, blah. And and she talked me into it. So why don't you pitch? And I'm like, because I, I didn't come here for that. I came here for the Cheetos, you know, <laughs> and, the food, and the free food. <laughs> so yeah. I I up pitching to her, and she's been my editor now for five years. Wow. So it's just amazing. And I look at her and I'm like, she's younger than my daughter. And she's (laughs) one of the smartest people I know. And I I appreciate her so much for the opportunity she gave me because I was the first um, Avon Impulse author out of the gate. Yep. And then I was the first one that they moved over to um, Mass Market. So I feel very blessed at this time. But, man, that road was bumpy.
0: (laughs) That was a very long road. Yeah. So who is your editor at Avon and what have you learned about your writing from, from working with her? Because I, I, um, I write on the internet and we don't have a word limit. We don't have any limitations at all. So I've had to learn how to edit myself. And in the process of writing three books, um, I've learned a lot from having been edited, what my ticks are, what my bad habits are, what words I need to stop using already. And I learned a lot from being edited in that way. Has that been true for you? Yeah.
1: Um, her, I, Amanda Bergeron is my um, editor. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, she's one of the smartest people. I know she's just, she's just, gosh, she's just so smart. She's a brilliant young lady. But um, she makes me dig deeper. Uh, she's, She really wants you to f- figure out what's really going on, not just the all the surface stuff. And so she makes me really take a longer, harder look at uh, what's really going on in that person's head and heart? And I'm telling you, sometimes it's not been easy. Um, the book that I did, uh, Sweet Surprise, we rewrote the hero three times Whoa. because we couldn't get him right. Because his heroine, he had to be perfect for his heroine. I mean, he had to be perfect for her. And so uh, we wrote, rewrote him three times before we were both really happy with him. And I'm thrilled with the way that he turned out. But, you know, it's just digging deeper and that that's the one thing she's really taught me, you know, is to stop going just on the surface of what things should look like and really dig because that's where you get the emotion. And I hate to say it, but when a reader tells me that I made him cry, that makes me feel really good. Oh no,
0: that's a huge compliment.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, because I know if I'm crying while I'm writing it, which I have in a couple of books that, you know, if I don't hit the reader in the right heart spot, you know, it's 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 not an achievement for me. Oh yeah. So yeah. So she's really taught me to edit myself to get rid of the extraneous BS. <laughs> and you know, yeah, that's nice. But you know, we're not just gonna send them on a walk in the park, and there's got to be a reason they're in the park. You know. So that was the that was the biggest thing I learned her uh, from her and to um, stop listening to the outside. Uh, So I never read my reviews because I don't want them to sway me for anything. Um, I I appreciate every single person that writes a review. I'm I'm very thankful for it, even if they're a bad review, you know, which it teaches you something, you know, hey, not everybody loves you, you know.
0: (laughs) I I have told many people many times in in a workshop I give about reviewing that even if it is the Most negative review you have ever received ever. If they spelled the name of the book and they spelled your name right, that's a win because someone will absolutely read that review and be like, I need to put that in my eyeballs right now. Get out of my way. I'm going to go buy it. Every review has a use and you are absolutely under no obligation to read your reviews. Do never. No one ever has to read their own reviews. I don't read my own reviews. I hate logging into my author dashboard on Goodreads. I'm like, oh, I don't want to see that. Oh, I can't fix that. That's done. Well, I, I, used, that.
1: I did in the beginning.
0: Yeah.
1: They started making me think differently about yep. my writing and stuff. And I go, I, I can't do that because it's not like I can't handle the negativity. I really feel very fortunate because I really get wonderful reviews. But I, I, can't. it's not that I can't handle the negativity in my life, but I got enough in my personal life. I don't want it. And something that you know, I love doing so much. So mm-hmm. you can smack me around at home, but I, I'm not gonna go out and reach out into the universe and have them smack me around too, so.
0: I am firmly of the opinion that no one should have a Google Alert for their own name. That way lies madness. Yeah. Because you know what, I, in a lot of ways, I personally think that the, the book and the author are two very separate things, which is weird yeah. when you're the author because your name is on the book. So in a lot of right. ways, you're very well connected to it. But right. from the reader perspective, I want to keep the book and the and the writer very separate because, you know, the writer could be the greatest person and like my favorite drinking buddy or someone whose Twitter feed I love. And then I read her books. And I'm like, this is not doing it for me. Yeah. And so it, it it's not I don't think it's any kind of requirement that authors read or interact with their reviews at all. If that's a separate sphere that you don't pay attention to, that's totally yeah. good because yeah, I can't
1: control it. So,
0: yeah, the yeah. only thing you're in control of is writing another book. Right
1: writing the book. Yep. Exactly. So that's a lesson I've learned. You know, I had in the beginning, when I started writing, I had to write fast and furious. I had books coming out like every couple of months and, you know, then they call and they'd want a novella. And, and, and I was like, I was in too much of a hurry to mm-hmm. get, you know, anything. And my focus was on writing a good book. So that, that's still, you know, is a lesson I learned, Write The, write the damn book and let everybody have their opinions. You can't change it. No. Nope.
0: So. And and I always tell myself, yeah, you know, you can't go out and fix that error. There are a couple mistakes in two of my books that make me absolutely like just twitchy. Like I want to go <laughs> fix them, but I can't find every copy of that book everywhere and be like, I just, hi, you don't know me. Just, I need two minutes on your bookshelf and maybe I'll use your bathroom because it was a long drive to get here. But I just, I just need, <laughs> just give me two minutes with this copy of my book. You're never going to see me again. I just need to fix this one. Th- I mean, people would, I would get arrested. <laughs> It's yeah. very tempting because yeah. I know there's a mistake in there, but I can't fix it. I just yeah. have to be like, well, let's not make that mistake again.
1: Yeah. And you and you do get called on from readers. That, did you know there's a typo in your book? Yep. And I'm like, you know. Darn it. <laughs> yeah,
0: humans, man.
1: I, I, I read the whole thing and I corrected and a copy editor did it. And we all went through it and I don't know what happened.
0: Yeah, humans, humans made this thing and were flawed, yeah. which sucks. And it's so t- totally frustrating when there is. But, you know, yep. it happens.
1: Yes, it does.
0: So before you got published, do you know how many books you wrote?
1: Yeah, I wrote nine.
0: Nine books. Nine books. And yeah. so you wrote paranormal and you wrote historical. And now you write contemporary. Yeah. Do you ever want to go back and... um? try one of those books or maybe have one of your contemporary characters be writing that book and then you can release it as a side project <laughs> um, most of them no uh, because
1: my writing has changed so much you know over the over the years I legit but, just stepped um, on my
0: dog's tail I'm sorry uh, buddy he's going under the couch oh the oh, lady oh. that was mean I'm sorry I'm leaning that's out of I, frame to reach for my dog <laughs>
1: <laughs> mine are laying outside my window right now that's all they do they lay around the laziest dogs ever so. <laughs>
0: So anyway, I apologize for interrupting and I'm sorry that I stepped on your tail, but you were saying
1: totally fine. Um, uh, Any moment, my chickens could walk by and the rooster could crow. So, you know, that.
0: (laughs) I am all about animal noises during the podcast. So bring it on. We haven't had any chickens or roosters yet. So this would be a Uh, good thing.
1: He's quite he's he's quite the rooster. (laughs) That's all I'll say.
0: So um, when you need inspiration for loud alpha males, you just look there at the rooster.
1: Yeah, but he would be one. i want to <laughs> to um, my husband and my brother-in-law because my brother-in-law, is um, he's a police sergeant. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been L.A. County Sheriff, and now he's with Boy C He's been with them for 20 years. But uh, And my husband, they are the two alpha males, and I always go, okay, way over the top alpha males, let's tone it down, and that'll work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you have one of the bios that I call the I have done all the cool things bio. Because <laughs> you have done a lot of cool things. I have. So please tell people some of the cool things that you've done. And, and I'm curious if any of them have worked their way into your books in some way.
1: Yeah, I've had quite a life. <laughs> I I said, I got to write my own obituary because nobody will believe it, you know, but um, (laughs) when I I was a kid, um, it was all the rage, you know, for kids to learn to tap dance and all that stuff. And um, my dance teacher decided that I was the next Shirley Temple. And so he um, put me on, I was on TV, I was on a show called the Jack Berry Variety Show. Wow. And I sang. And I was a ventriloquist. I'm thinking I must have been a very poor ventriloquist. But um, so I made a record. I was on TV when I was a kid. And I was in a rock band when I was in my late teens, early 20s. Um, I worked as a recording engineer in, the, in uh, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I've met many, 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 many stars, which my husband and I always laugh about. I go, nobody would ever believe I met all these people. But it's true. (laughs) (laughs) From O.J. Simpson before the murders to Charlton Heston. And I said, yes, I did say, oh, my God, it's Moses. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess that he would get that a lot.
1: Yeah, he was so nice. He was very old and looked very frail. Um, but he was a very nice man, and uh, Jimmy Stewart, who's always been one of my favorite
0: actors. And oh my goodness! I, my
1: husband's favorite actor, and he was my husband was so flabbergasted that he was in the same room with Jimmy Stewart. Oh my God! It was like being in the same room with John Wayne, you know. So <laughs> I go, well, go say hi to him. Go in, and my husband's he he lets me do all the talking for him. So I said, you, you've got to go say hi to my God. You'll never, you'll never forgive yourself if you don't. So he literally chased Jimmy Stewart out the door with it. And his wife, as he was leaving, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just slapped my ass off. I was like, Oh my God. He probably thought, cause my husband's 6'3, three. I was like, yeah. you know, this weird dude's coming after me, but he was a very polite man. And so, you know, I, I, um, I was a hairdresser when I started out in the working world and, Um, ended up being a graphic designer for over 30 years. It's like, I'm one of those. You throw it my way, baby. I'm going to take that ball and run with it. So
0: So. you worked with 80s hair bands.
1: Oh, I did. I was actually, my first husband was a heavy metal musician.
0: Ah, you know, (laughs) I was listening to a podcast the other day about whether or not it's a good idea to date musicians. Nope. No no, no? No, 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 that was exactly their perspective, too. They were like, yeah, yeah. no, just not. Yeah. No, no,
1: no. Yeah, um, it was it was the surge of the 80s here. Um, and his band would play with uh, Motley Crue, of course, and L.A. Guns and Cinderella and Poison, all those guys. They all played the Troubadour and the whiskey and all of that. And I did sound for his band at that time. So I met all these guys in the funniest thing thing I ever had was um uh Tommy Lee from Motley Crue the drummer crazy drummer guy yep yep he had gone to one of my ex-husband's shows my mom had gone along with me to hear the bands and she's like what's wrong with that young man he's so tall so skinny and so pale I go (laughs) sex drugs and rock and roll mom
0: (laughs) that's just how it happens mom (laughs)
1: So, yeah, I design costumes for them. And... How do you
0: design a costume for an 80s hairband? What are the required elements? Like, what um, did they have of, to have? A
1: lot of rich crap,
0: you know? <laughs> so I stuff. bought this new jacket, and I took a steak knife, and I stabbed <laughs> I it a bunch know, of
1: times. Slashing. Then you watch watch the guys who were really big, like Van Halen. I mean, I remember seeing Van Halen when they were called Mountain And they played in this little dive place um, where I lived because I lived in the L.A. area. And um, you just watched what they're doing and say, that looks good. That looks good. That sucks. And then you just kind of go on your own thing and what looks best on camera because videos, music videos were becoming really popular at that time. So, you know, MTV was like the hot thing. So you just looked at flashy, sparkly, sweaty, ripped, long. I mean, the hair was always the thing, you know, so.
0: You know, <laughs> I was a child of the 80s and 90s, and I tried to get my hair that big, and it did not happen. What was the secret? <laughs> what was what was the secret? Oh, uh,
1: 14 pounds of hairspray. <laughs> I thought so. They used to have these, what they call rat tail combs.
0: Yep, I have one.
1: Back comb, back comb, back comb. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the kind of guy like we have now where you want to run your fingers through their hair. No, No. I mean, you could, but you get stuck.
0: stuck. (laughs) Like, oh, I found some snacks in here. Let's see what else is stuck in the rat's nest.
1: Yes. Oh, Um, that's messed up. It was fun.
0: So for 80s hairband costuming, which I think should totally be in a book, by the way. Um, Does it have to be comfortable and breathable? Because I have always looked at these people jumping around on stage wearing leather, and I'm like, that has to chafe. You have to be so uncomfortable right now.
1: Yeah, um, most of the time they wear spandex, and it looked like leather. And it was actually, it was really hard to find stuff in those days to just go in and buy out of a store. There were a couple of places in Hollywood, one on Hollywood Boulevard, um, and a lot of them went to the Pleasure Chest in Hollywood, which Mm -hmm. is a total S&M store, uh, to buy
0: stuff. (laughs) I mean, you Black, leather, fringe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think Rod Halford of Judas Priest, you know, that's the only place he ever shopped was at the Pleasure Chest, but... Um, you, you know, you just try to find the wildest, craziest, loudest things that you could find that moved with their bodies, you know, because they were very, they were very active. It's like now, you know, I, I love country music, but I'm like, I can't go to the concerts. Cause I'm like, <laughs> 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 so I'm just used to jumping around, I guess.
0: So with, with the with the amount of, of, of involvement you had with the music industry and with design and with costumes, how has that affected you as a writer? Does it make your style, do you think, more visual? Do you have to envision a picture in your mind and then describe it? Like, how do those things relate? Um, my My writing,
1: my books come to me like a movie in my head. So I'm a very visual person, yep. Um, and I actually I do see, and um, I think that all going with all those loud colors and and movement, um, there was so much movement in those days of you know rock and roll and stuff, um, and so much sexuality in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, like in uh, uh, excess, the lead singer I was like, oh my gosh, he's the sexiest man, and it was just because the way he moved, yep. you know, yeah. or Jim Morrison from the Doors. Weirdo, but God he was sexy, you know, so it it pulls in a lot of that to me, a lot of movement, a lot of color. Um I, I just always see like it's a movie in my head. Try explaining that to someone who doesn't write and they think you're ready for the nut house, you know, but which I probably am, but <laughs> <laughs> So I think it, I think it helped. Um, I've always written in some format. When I was a teenager, I wrote, you know, the angsty uh, teenage poetry and all that stuff. And um, I did take drama. I, I thought, well, I'll just see what it, um, you know, what happens here. And my drama teacher in college, who was really good looking guy, said, your writing is wonderful. But your acting really sucks. Oh, boy. So, well. <laughs> writing. And I still have the, the papers because you had to do a biographies of your characters
0: and stuff. Oh, yeah. I had and to I do that. I still have
1: them. I still have them. And, you know, I get an A++ on them. And I'm like, well, there might be something to this. But the, even the drama um, helped me see movement and everything as I'm writing. So I think it all kind of piled in, you know, and and it really does help me. I really do see what I'm writing.
0: When you're starting a book, do you have um, do you usually have a scene that you start with or do you start with the research and then the characters show up in your imagine later?
1: I always get um, a character first Mm -hmm. and their problem or their situation. Um, And then I have to go from there Um, when I I don't really write like some people write like these big long outlines and stuff for their editors. I do kind of a, a a quick proposal and God knows some of those stories have completely changed from what the proposal was, you know, you know, (laughs) nothing ever goes, you know, the way it's supposed to. But um, I, I, I think that uh, the character always presents itself first, Right. you know, whether it's the heroine or the hero, one of them always pops into my head and then the whole story comes comes into place. I don't know how it works. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to turn it on when I need it.
0: (laughs) With your travels, because I know driving through Texas influenced your books and going through wineries in, you know, in and around where you live has influenced your books. Do you have to pull over and start writing things down? Oh, yeah.
1: I take tons of pictures um, and I write notes. My husband laughed because when I was writing the Sweet Texas books, when I first started them, we were driving through this little town called comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were driving through and I look up and there's goats everywhere in the hill country <laughs> in Texas. And I'm like, what the hell is with the goats? And so then we're driving down the, 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 main street in comfort Texas, which is, you know, that big. Mm-hmm. And I look over and there's this little antique shop and it's called miss Giddy's. And I go, Holy damn! I am writing a goat into my books, and her name's going to be Miss Giddy. (laughs) My husband's like, "All righty then." Okay, dear. I'm writing down. I write out, you know, and I see what I see, Miss Giddy, in my head, and I write down. I write down so many odd little things. Like my husband says, that's what he likes reading about in my books is all the little details, like uh, what kind of birds are in the trees. That might be only a one. Sent sentence thing in the book, but I actually saw it. I actually wrote it down. There are these birds in the trees called geckles that make so much noise, you know, that you can't hear yourself think sometimes. And yeah, I I write weird stuff down. But
0: (laughs) well, that's sort of like contemporary world building. that's that's what you have to sort of add to create a realistic universe. It's not just birds. It's a specific kind of bird. I mean, I've been I moved in December. And now that I've been sitting outside, I've noticed that the birds around me sound different. Yeah, I'm used to one sound. And now I have a whole different set. Those are the things you notice in your world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, we do a lot of birds watching here. I live in a birds of prey area. Mm-hmm. So we have um, everything from golden eagles to I have four owls that live on my property. And one's That's cool. Owl. It's so cool. I listen to them at night, you know, and you can go out. and My husband and I were actually out in the hot tub one night and there's this white spot in the tree and I'm like, I think we're being watched, and it was the snowy owl, and he's just sitting there watching us in the tree. But it, it does give me a flavor for everything, and that's why I always have to go somewhere where I'm writing about. Mm-hmm. My first series was set in a fictitious town called Deerlick, Montana, mm-hmm. which the sweet Texas came because my editor said, please don't pre- pick another freaky name like Deerlick. I go, but it, it it's so normal in, t- in Montana, you know. Totally.
0: But, um, I mean, there's a park called Big Bone Lick State Park. I know. <laughs> Deer licks nothing.
1: So I'm like, I have to go to these places and get the feel for them um, so that I can write about them and be, you know,
0: real. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. but Totally makes sense.
1: Yeah. So when I, I had a, an event in, in uh, Portland last October and I my series is set in the Portland-Vancouver area And so I drove up there because it's only about a six-hour drive. I drove up there, and I drove all around, and I found these – they're all little wineries. And I'm driving down this driveway thinking, wow, this is like the ones at home, you know, very small. These people are coming out, and they're like looking at me like, who the heck are you? You know? (laughs) And I go, hi, I'm a writer and I'm just like doing research. And they go, Oh, yeah, well, we're just we're we're going down here to meet some people for lunch, but go ahead on up and wander around, do your thing. And I'm like, sweet. <laughs> I just went up and took tons of pictures and you know, that's how I get the flavor of things. Um, sweet Texas is really downtown Bernie and Comfort Texas mixed together and you know, so it's it's all very fresh in my mind and I think that's why I can visualize so well because I've right. been there you know
0: and you're creating basically your own story visually yeah. in your head and then describing it in text yeah
1: that's yeah. very cool well, the best compliment I ever got was from uh well several uh, uh, the same compliment uh, that I really got Texas right and oh I
0: that's thought- a lovely thing
1: That was wonderful because I love Texas. I wouldn't want to do it any injustice, you know, but so that was a great compliment to me.
0: And one thing I'm always fascinated by when I travel in the U.S. is how very different culturally little pieces of the country are from each other. Yeah. Like three hours out of your way and you're in a significantly different culture in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so to be able to write that down and say, have somebody say you got it right. That's that's a huge compliment.
1: Yeah. It, it really, it, it, that probably made me feel better than anything. I was like, okay, I nailed it. Phew, you know. (laughs) Well, it's funny, my husband and I, my, he always goes with me when I, or mostly goes with me when I go on these little travels. And, um, we find the odd things around the neighborhood, you know, when we go, uh, it's like when we went to, um, the hill country in Texas, we're like, they got bat caves. My husband's like, let's go see the bat caves. And I'm like, OK, only if like Christian Bale shows up or something, you know, and he's like, oh, no, let's go, let's go. So he talks me into these weird off kind of little things yep. that you can go see. And we we're sitting there and there's like millions and millions of bats coming out of this cave. And my hair was literally going like this from the wind, the wind. of the- I was like freaking out. But only those guys in that area know about that, bat cave. Yep. You know, and it's like, so you can write about things like that. I don't think I wrote about that, Kate, okay? but you can write about things like that. Yep. And and you have an authentic, you know, look out for them because you've actually been
0: there and experienced <laughs> the bat wind yep. coming <laughs> off your hair. <laughs> <laughs> and, you've, and you know exactly what it feels like when the bats start going at a high velocity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's like, you know, I, I, I have friends that write Westerns and stuff. And I'm like, you know, uh, my daughter was, she's a three-time rodeo queen. And it's like, I could write about rodeos. I've seen men undressing behind the chutes and they, most of the time don't wear underwear. And, you know, it's like bull riders yep. like,
0: wow. Okay. Yeah
1: write about all that stuff because i've seen it i've been there i've done that and yes it was pretty good
0: (laughs) i was gonna say that sounds like an erotic romance waiting to happen
1: yeah you know and it's sad because i think oh i'm so old i shouldn't be looking at those young boys and yet i'm
0: like this you know hey there's no shame (laughs) none so so you're you mentioned your husband reads your books yeah what does he he think of them um, he loves them. He
1: doesn't read. He reads the newspaper, hunting magazines. And uh, now he's getting into beekeeping. So we, he, he's a beak now. He's crazy. He gets all these weird things going. But um, he does not read at all a book, a novel. He's just not on him. And he reads mine, and it it makes him mad when he has to put it down to go to work or something, you know.
0: Oh, that's just lovely.
1: The first time I, it was uh, the first book that I got, that I wrote, I caught him. I got up early in the morning, and he was sitting in his recliner, and he's reading, and he's laughing. And I go, oh, that was just for my benefit, you know. And um, he's like, (laughs) he's like shushing me. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I'm reading. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Well, this isn't going to go far because you don't read books, right? You know? And he has read every single one, and he he loves them. Although he does think that the guys should get ha- get their sex a little sooner. <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy needs to get laid right now. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So he's read every book you've written yeah that's adorable
1: yeah but he won't read it until it comes out you know in the actual book right you know so um w- which was kind of funny because my first three books were all avon impulse so it was you know it came out of ebook first and then print and uh he had to wait he won't read it in like you know manuscript form so he it's wants kind the of print fun. book yeah he supported me so much all these years you know and and uh, he's wonderful, but he really he he really loves the stories. Really loves all the detail. You know, I I hear him laughing when he's reading, but he definitely thinks the guy should get laid faster. So
0: <laughs> now the question is: Is he think that it, the the poor man is in some way deprived, or does he just want to read the sexy parts sooner? It could be. He, he says
1: that it's like when you're reading because I do both from the hero and heroine's point of view right and he says when he's reading from the hero's point of view and he's looking at the heroine he says I don't know who she is you know but he goes when I see him looking at her he goes it's kind of a turn on and you kind of vicariously live through this guy so you're like I'm hot for this woman. I want her right now. So he's
0: identifying with the hero. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who think that romance readers, we identify with the heroine or we take her place or we, we read symbiotically connected and he's identifying with the hero. Like, well, well, Hey. Yeah.
1: He's like, Hey, hot chick. Let's go.
0: That's fascinating. (laughs) I know.
1: So I'm like, alrighty.
0: righty. (laughs) (laughs) So does he ever give you feedback or does he ever tell you what he liked or didn't like no, he, one time
1: he helped me uh, with um, it was um, any given Christmas. My mm-hmm. second book, he kind of helped me with that because my editor and I were struggling. For I mean, this guy was a um, an NFL quarterback, and you know, he's a total alpha male. So I'm like, oh, what would he do in this situation? So I asked my husband for his advice, and he actually said um, the thing I would never think about, you know. And he gave he said, well, he would be feeling shame, you know, and I'm like. Shame. What? Huh? What? You know, and it made so much sense. So if I'm kind of stuck with the alpha male, I might ask him a question, but that that's it. He doesn't um he doesn't ever offer. He just says that he really liked it. He has his favorites, you know, uh heroines and heroes and all that stuff. And um uh, he doesn't see them in his head like I do, because he kept thinking that the Wilder brothers from Sweet Texas look like Rob Gronkowski from the Patriots. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I said, Chris Hemsworth, not Rob Gronkowski. But, um, <laughs> so he doesn't ever say anything like, oh, I liked it, didn't like it. You know, you could have done this. But no, none of that kind of feedback. He just tells me, um, you know, he's just very supportive. That's very cool.
0: One question I always ask people, I told you I was going to ask this one, is what have you been reading lately that you've really enjoyed and recommended? Oh, my gosh.
1: Well, I'm a readaholic.
0: Yes, I know that problem well.
1: Oh, it's bad. Um, I've actually – I can't tell you the names of the books, but I just read my Rita books for the Rita contest.
0: Oh, you're a Rita judging. That is a lot of reading. You are, you, yeah, I got you a are a the book. perfect person to get that big old box of books.
1: Oh, yeah. I, and, and I'm like um, – sometimes it's hard um, because there are some – categories I don't or genres I don't read Mm -hmm. um obviously uh I like things with alpha males and I I I couldn't write a beta male if I had to because I wouldn't know how I don't know any beta males (laughs) so um those are are tough for me although I think there are some wonderful books out there with that but I got um I got six erotica books this time um Instead of four Amish books, which I got one time, which were really hard for me to read, uh, there I'm just not goody goody two shoes enough to read that kind of. I'm sorry. That's okay. I gotta have them hot and heavy. Um, so I I wasn't really an erotica reader before. Um, I I loved every single one that I read this time. They were phenomenal books, and I
0: wow I, I
1: rated them very high because. Not only, I mean, I don't understand the S&M thing, but that's okay um, because it was about the characters yep. and how and why they were into this. And it wasn't so much the sex acts. It was the characters. I just found them powerfully written and wonderful.
0: Oh, you know? cool. So,
1: yeah. So, I'm, I, hey, I'm on board now.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, fill up that Kindle with lots of erotica. So, yeah, it was a, it was kind of a new thing for me. I read a lot of Paranormal. Mm-hmm. Do you have um, any
0: favorites that you reread in Paranormal?
1: Um, J.R. Ward, you know, I mean, I read hers all the time. And I have Corrine um, Callahan, who writes the Dragon Fury um, books. I read hers. I've read hers several times over. Um, and uh, um, Dragon
0: Fury books. Yeah.
1: yeah. Have I missed these?
0: I I don't know.
1: Yeah. They're really, really, really
0: good. (laughs) Okay. Good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, like I told my husband, I never thought I'd get turned on by a dragon, but Hey, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah. And, um, uh, Carolyn sparks, you know, I read her vampire books and, uh, Sarah Humphrey's, I love I love anything Sarah Humphrey Humphrey's writes. So, um, uh, you know, I just I have those and I'll just go back over them back over them sometimes. You know, um, I do that with contemporary and historical too, so it's like
0: I reread. Yeah, me too. Dr. So, do you Stacey? have a uh do you have a digital keeper shelf or do you have both a paper keepers and a digital keeper?
1: I have um one Bedroom, which used to be my old office, it's a full wall bookshelves and it's completely full of books and overflowing.
0: (laughs) Well, you get creative. You can fit a lot of books on one shelf if you double stack and two deep and up and down. And
1: it's my husband's office now, and he's like, "Are you ever going to take these out of here?" I go, "Where would I put them?"
0: No, No, they have to stay. (laughs) They have to be here.
1: Yes. And I have, um, I also read on Kindle because sometimes when I'm reading a book and it ends at, you know, like 1.30 in the morning and I, I got to have the next book. So I go yep. right to the store. Um, so I have a ton of books on my Kindle too. I'm just, I'm a readaholic. I read, 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 read constantly. And that's kind of the hard part about being a writer is that it's harder to read as much as you really want to. Yep. So it's like today, it's like 45 mile hour winds going on outside. It's great. It's ugly. I don't want to work today. I want to just go sit and read, you know, and uh, I can't, I got revisions to do.
0: I understand. (laughs) So So before we go, if you had, if you had one piece of advice to give someone who's listening, who is an aspiring writer, what would, what advice would you give them?
1: I would tell you to tell them to trust themselves, not listen to everything everybody tells you is the way to get published or the way to write. There are so many avenues out there right now to getting your book out in front of people. Yep. Um, you know, indie. I I admire indie authors so much because they work so hard. They not only work hard on writing the book, they have to promote it themselves. They have to get it edited, and they have, you know, they put their own money behind it. It's like mm-hmm. you know, owning your own business. So, yep. um, I would say don't listen to everything everybody tells you. That's one thing I work. One way I went wrong, and um, don't think that you have to get an agent to say you're good because you're good. You just have to trust in yourself. Um, I went through, I'm right now in my fifth agent in all these times and I had some that were big names and never did anything for me. So it doesn't matter if they have a big name. It's what they they can do for you, you know? Um, So just trust yourself, believe in yourself and you can do it. Just don't listen to every single thing everybody says because everybody has a different opinion. It's like, I got a jar of Jelly Bellies behind me. Which one's your favorite? They're mm-hmm. all different flavors, yep. you know. So we're all different and there is no one right way or wrong way to to do it or get it done. That's really good advice.
0: And that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Candace Terry and her publicist, the very lovely Caro at Avon. For hooking us up, because I really enjoyed this interview, and I hope you did as well. You can find Candice on her website at candis terry. That's c a n d i s t e r r y. dot com. I will have links to her website, her Facebook, her Twitter, and the books that we mentioned in the podcast entry on Smart Bitches Trashy Book slash Podcast. And speaking of podcast, this podcast right here that you are listening to was sponsored by Jessica Corey, author of The Forbidden Wish, published by Penguin Young Readers and available in print and ebook. Zahara is given one chance at freedom to be free of the curse that has bound her to a lamp. With her future on the line, she must decide, betray the man she loves, or risk everything to be with him for eternity. Available now. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter, at Sassy Outwater. This is the band Sketch from their new album, Shed Life. And this song is called Shed Mouse, but it's M-A-U-5, as in Dead Mouse. At least I hope I'm saying that right. If I've just revealed myself as the most uncool person, well, that, that's not actually a surprise. You can find Shed Life, this song, and the whole album on Amazon or iTunes or wherever you buy your most excellent music, and I have links to all of your options on the website as well. Future podcasts will include me and possibly a lot of other people talking about romance novels, because that's what we do here. If you have ideas, suggestions, feedback, you want to tell me I'm wrong about something, you want to make a make a deep, desperate appeal for a book that you're dying to read and you can't quite find, we are here for all of that. You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. But in the meantime, on behalf of Candace Terry and myself and everyone else here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.